Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome back to our study of end times. Tonight we're going to be looking at our schedule of the events to take place before and after the return of Jesus the Messiah. Our study has brought us to the midpoint of the tribulation, and that is Roman numeral three on your sheet, uh, the final three and a half years of the tribulation period, the period that Jesus called the Great Tribulation. Now, we're going to look at first tonight the campaign of Armageddon, and then we will look at B.C. D and end up with E. So first, the campaign of Armageddon. Now, many people uh, know the term Armageddon, the war that ends all wars. Uh, you hear that phrase used a lot uh, by the world. Uh, everybody seems to think of Armageddon as the final battle. Well, Armageddon is not just one battle. I believe it is a campaign. It is a number of battles that will culminate in the final battle of human history when Christ returns. But I think the beginning of the Battle of Armageddon starts right at the midpoint of the tribulation. And we have to turn to the book of Daniel in order to find this information out. And what's going to happen at the midpoint of the tribulation, three and a half years after it starts, Syria and Egypt will attack Israel. Now we see this over in Daniel chapter 11, beginning with verse 40. At the end time, the king of the south, and the south is Egypt, will collide with him, and the king of the north, Syria, will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships. He will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land, and many countries will fall. But these will be rescued out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver, over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. All right, what this passage is describing for us is, again, the king of the south Egypt will attack Israel simultaneous with the invasion of Israel by the king of the south, Egypt, is there will be an invasion by the king of the north, which is Syria. Now, the king of the south and the king of the north will be fighting against the nation of Israel, but when the Antichrist hears of this invasion, he will move his armies from Europe into the Middle East, sweeping through many countries, like a flood. That's what we read about in verse 40. 
Now, though it says they will collide with him, even though they are fighting against Israel, but because the Antichrist, remember, has made a treaty with Israel, that is the beginning of the tribulation, in response to that treaty, because Israel is being attacked, he will move into the Middle East with his armies to honor that treaty. And that's where it says he will also enter the beautiful land. And on his way, many countries will fall. Uh, now, it appears that uh, he will first strike against Egypt because Egypt has started this. Uh, and they're the ones as ones who initiated it. He will destroy them first. He will not conquer the territory of Edom, Moab, and Ammon, which is present-day Jordan. But he will gain control over many countries as he's moving into the Middle East. Again, he will come to Israel to fulfill his covenant with them. You remember Daniel 9.27. This is number 2 under A in Roman numeral 3. It says, And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. In the middle of the week, that's three and a half year period. Remember, Daniel speaks of week as of years, seven years as a week. But in the middle of the week, we put a stop to sacrifices and grain offerings, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So he will have entered into a covenant with the people of Israel, binding that nation as a part of his domain, and therefore any attack against the land of Israel will be seen as an attack against him, and he will move into uh, the Middle East to help defend Israel. And we read in verses 44 and 45 of Daniel 11, but rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, that is the Antichrist, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful Mount, holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. So when he moves into the Middle East, he will use this as an occasion to set up his headquarters in and about Jerusalem. Then the Antichrist will hear alarming reports from the East, uh, probably referring to an invasion perhaps by uh, some armies of the East. And the enraged Antichrist will set out to destroy many of the invaders. He will occupy Israel. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas, that is, between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, at the beautiful Holy Mountain, which is probably a way of referring to Jerusalem. Now, you will remember that as he comes into the Middle East, defeats Syria, defeats Egypt, sets up his headquarters in Jerusalem, he will at this time go a step further and he will go into the temple in Jerusalem and he will put a stop to the offering of sacrifices that they've been doing since they rebuilt the temple at the beginning of the tribulation and he will proclaim himself to be God. And this is at the point that he turns on the one world church and destroys her 
and his one-world government, as we've already seen, comes into full form. Now, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks about the Antichrist going into the temple and proclaiming himself to be God. It says there in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. And we've already seen as well at this time at the midpoint, the two prophets that we saw in chapter 11 will be killed by the Antichrist, but God will supernaturally raise their bodies after three and a half days. The Antichrist will destroy the one world church. And then we come to letter E, the additional trumpets of God's wrath will be blown. You remember that we saw under Roman numeral 2, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, we saw the first four trumpets of God's wrath were blown. Fire and hell on the third of the earth. We saw a burning mass fall into the sea. We saw a great meteor fall from heaven on the rivers. A third of the heavenly bodies were darkened. Now, I think, again, those are going to be taking place as we are in the first three and a half years of the tribulation as we are approaching the second three and a half years. But I think as we get into the second three and a half years, probably toward the beginning of those three and a half years, we will see the fifth and sixth trumpets of God's wrath revealed. Now we find that over in Revelation chapter 9. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation 9 because we're going to spend good bit of our time in this passage looking at these last, these six, uh, fifth and sixth trumpets of God's wrath. Now the other trumpets, if you, as you notice, had to do with the natural realm. They were natural catastrophes divinely directed. A burning mass, perhaps a media into the sea. Media falls on the rivers, a fire and hell on the third of the earth. All these are natural occurrences. But when we come to the fifth and sixth trumpet, we move beyond the natural realm to the supranatural realm. We're moving into the spiritual realm. We are above the natural realm as we see demonic forces released in these fifth and sixth trumpets. These two trumpets of wrath go beyond the natural realm to the supernatural as demonic forces are released to torment unregenerate mankind. And these two trumpets will bring on this world the greatest display of the wrath of God that human history will have ever witnessed. Let's look at the fifth trumpet, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9 of Revelation. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. 
And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now, this star had already fallen from heaven. I believe this star represents none other than Satan himself. Over in Isaiah chapter 14, Satan is called Lucifer, which means morning star. There in Isaiah 14, 12, we read, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. So I think John is telling us that Satan is given the key to the bottomless pit. Key representing authority. One who has the key has the authority to open the door. Now, who gave him the key? God gave it to him. God is the one who's ultimately in control and has been in control of this bottomless pit, but he gives this key to Satan. Now, let's talk about the bottomless pit for a moment or the shaft of the abyss. Now, this is not hell. This is not Hades. This is a separate place. It's pictured as a great pit with a narrow opening and then getting wider as you go further down. It is the prison house of demonic spirits. It seems that some demons are too horrible, too terrible, too ungodly, too perverted, too clandestine to be allowed even to roam on the earth. And so God has imprisoned them in this bottomless pit or this prison house. You see, some demons are allowed to roam on the earth as Satan's cohorts, but others are too vile, too wretched, too mean, therefore God holds them in a prison under his control. Now, there are a couple of places in Scripture that we see this referred to, and I want to call these to your attention. First, over in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Peter refers to some demons being so wicked, so vile, that God has placed them in prison. Second Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, and all demons are fallen angels. Remember, Satan was in heaven with God. Uh, he was a choice angel, one of the highest angels, most beautiful angels, but he was not satisfied. He wanted to be like God, and he rebelled against God. And in so doing, it seems the third of the heavenly angels rebelled with him, and they were all cast out of heaven. And some of those demons became his cohorts. Others were too wicked and vile to even be allowed to roam on the earth, and they were placed in a prison. And here we read about this in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into, it's translated hell, but actually it is not the word Gehenna that Jesus used for hell, but the word Tartarus, uh, which again is an idea of a prison house of demons, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. 
So here Peter's making a point. If God didn't spare those angels, he's not going to spare other people who reject God's truth. Now look over again in Jude chapter 6. This is the book immediately following uh, preceding Revelation. In Jude, verses 6 and 7, we again see reference to this prison house, uh, this abyss. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he's kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they are in the same way as they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So there in verse 6 it said they are kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And look also over in Luke chapter 8. You may see and understand this passage now in a way deeper than you have ever understood it before. In Luke 8, you remember when Jesus confronted the man called Legion, And he was called Legion because he had so many demons within him. And Jesus is about to cast these demons out. Look at what they say to him. Verse 31, Luke 8. And they were entreating him, begging him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, you may have read that and you might have thought, what are they saying? Why are they saying that? They knew about this abyss, this bottomless pit. They knew it was a prison house of demons. And so they were asking Jesus, entreating Him, begging Him when He cast them out, not to throw him into, throw them into this prison house of demon spirits. This bottomless pit. This shaft of the abyss. Now personally, when I ask Jesus to rebuke them, I say, please send them to the bottomless pit. Get rid of them once and for all. But that's what it is. It's a prison house of demon spirits. But with this trumpet of God's wrath, God will give Satan the key to this prison house of demonic creatures so he can release them to torment the ungodly. Let's continue to read. It says in verse 3 that when they come out, they came forth like locusts upon the earth. And power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now let's look at their description. In verses 7 through 10. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads, as it were, crowns like gold. And their faces were the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplate like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. And they have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. Now, these 
demons are horrifying sight. If you look and imagine what this description is, I mean, they are very horrifying, uh, the appearance. It's not literal locusts. These are spiritual beings. And notice their leader in verse 11 is one called uh, destroy or destruction. And they have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Abaddon means destruction. Apollyon means destroyer. Now, I don't believe this is Satan. I think this is a demon that was also cast into this bottomless pit, this prison house. And he is the head demon in this prison house. And when they are released, he is their leader. But how vile and evil and wicked he is, is seen in his name, destruction and destroyer. Now, they are released, but God limits their power. In verse 4, they're told they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor green thing, nor any tree. They cannot attack nature, but only men. And then only those who do not have the seal of God. Remember, we've seen God protects His own. God seals His people during the tribulation, during this time. And He supernaturally protects them. And these demonic spirits will not be allowed to touch God's people. Also, You see, in verse 5, they cannot kill people. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Now, they will torment the ungodly. And the torment will be like a sting of a scorpion. Now, the scorpions in the Middle East are different than the scorpions you and I run into. They are much stronger. Their venom is more intense. Uh, I understand that their sting brings an excruciating pain and nausea and profuse vomiting. This pain caused by these demonic creatures will be so bad that people will beg to die. People will even try to commit suicide and they will not be able Verse 6, in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They they will seek death and they will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. And they're going to want to die. You know, there are a lot of things worse than death, folks, particularly for the Christian. I mean, you know, death for us is a blessing. But here, even these unbelievers want to die to get rid of, get to get away from this pain and this suffering and this agony. But they will not be able to die. They will try to take their lives, and God will not allow them to do so. That's the fifth trumpet of God's wrath. Now we move to the sixth trumpet of God's wrath, and we see a demonic host of two hundred million strong. Released. Verse 13. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. 
You remember we saw that altar over in chapter 8. Remember, it was the altar that represented the incense altar in the holy place, represented the prayers of God's people. You remember we saw it was this altar and the coals of this altar that the angel stuck the censer in, the shovel in, and took the coals of that altar and threw them on the earth to be the coals of God's wrath. You remember that? And we said to reject God's love is to experience His wrath. And it is from this altar that this voice comes. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they might kill a third of mankind. Now here, John makes it clear that these demonic forces, and they're called angels, uh, which simply means messengers, uh, they are demonic forces, and they have been held by God's sovereign power But now they are released. And you know God's in control because, look, it says they've been prepared for this very hour, this very day, this very month, and this very year. This is not an accident. This is the preordained plan of God on His specific day that He has ordained from eternity past. This trumpet will be sounded And these demonic forces will be released and they will kill a third of mankind. Now, since we've started the tribulation, excuse me, since we've started with the uh, bowls of God's wrath, we now see over a half of the original population of the earth gone. You remember we saw that in the bowls of God's wrath, 1.7 billion people, as we saw in the fourth seal, the fourth of the earth. Now, a third of the earth, which in today's numbers would be 2.5 billion people. Now, over half of the original number has been destroyed now. Imagine the, the, just the logistical problems of having to bury that many corpses. Imagine the labor force being that many people being removed from the labor force, the effect it's going to have on the world economy. I mean, over half of the world's population, which is right at 7 billion now, removed. Now, God releases them at the appointed day and hour, 200 million strong, verse 16. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. And I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates of color of fire and hackensmith and a brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. And a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, and have heads, and with them they do harm. Again, these are demonic creatures, and so they have this weird appearance. Uh, But they're 
description shows their destructive power and how ferocious they are. Uh, And they kill again a third of mankind, another two billion people, with fire and smoke and brimstone. Now imagine what the world condition is going to be like after the sounding of this fifth trumpet and this sixth trumpet. But notice the response the world gives. Verse 20. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Now these trumpets are warnings of judgment and wrath of God intended to turn men to repentance. You would think anyone seeing this display of God's judgment would say, I I give up. I I repent. I turn to God. I want His grace and forgiveness. I mean, God has given the world a foretaste of what hell's going to be like as a warning for them to repent and live. But what do you see them doing? They do not repent. They will not turn back from their evil and their wickedness. It almost seems beyond our understanding that they could see such evidence of God's holy wrath and yet choose to stay under it. It's almost like they become hardened in their rejection against God. Even as Pharaoh became harder in his heart. As someone has said, the sun will make a block of wax soft. But that same sun will turn a block of clay hard. So it seems again that the wrath of God, these trumpets of God, these men's hearts are even more stubborn, more rebellious. They have set their faces against God. And they do not desire to repent and to come back. All right, that concludes our study tonight. And